You're listening to the GamesRegie.biz podcast. I'm Jane Spatula and I'm joined this week by... Matt Handrahan. Brendan Sinclair. And Marie D'Alessandri. We're going to be talking about the biggest stories from the games industry over the past week, starting with the confirmation of a new version of PlayStation VR. Sony last week confirmed that it's working on a new version of the virtual reality headset for the PlayStation 5. Um, there was a blog post up uh, from the company giving, I say details, there really wasn't much details. Like it's going to have a new controller that uses some of the uh, technology in the DualSense gamepad, um, a single cord setup, so fewer wires for people to trip over. Um, and it's not going to be out in 2021. That is about it. But I think that's enough to go on to uh, to start discussing because PlayStation VR, obviously, like the the thing I always think of when I, th- I think of this is the fact that I, I have to remind myself it is the market leader. As much as the attention goes on, like Oculus Quest, Oculus Rift, um, the HTC one that I can remember the name, Vive. never remember the name of Vive. Sorry, Vive, uh, Valve Index. Thank you, Vive, um, Valve Index. PlayStation VR is the biggest selling um, virtual reality headset. So if there's no Sony, if there's no PlayStation VR, the VR market shrinks dramatically. Yeah, well, from whatever size it actually is, I guess. I mean, that's the uh, <laughs> the thing to remember with VR is that even you can. Um, but so uh, we we we've talked to End Dreams many many times. There, we're all based in the UK. End Dreams is the UK's sort of leading VR studio. Um, one, you know, one. One of not that many VR studios in the UK, I would say, but certainly the biggest one to be kind of all in on it. And I, I chatted to Patrick O'Lorna, who's the CEO there. Uh, my mind is blurry because of the pandemic, but it would be, I think, almost exactly a year ago at the Yorkshire Game Festival. And I said, so, you know, how, how much insight do you have on this market that you're betting your entire studio on? And his answer was not as much as we'd like. And he said that actually Sony is the only <laughs> So uh, bear in mind that this is a studio that was working on an Oculus uh, Rift exclusive Phantom Cola Ops. Uh, not Rift exclusive, but an Oculus exclusive. Obviously, Rift is a different thing now. The Quest is out there. But Phantom Cola Ops, working with Oculus, didn't know how many Oculus headsets there are out there. Um, so you've got to bear in mind that there are a lot of studios that are flying somewhat blind or using similar tools to the ones that we have access to, like web, like scraper websites, things like that, like that they can't really get concrete information. You know, so for example, you can, I think on Steam, you can kind of, there, there are ways of slicing Steam data to find out how many, which different kinds of headsets are, are attached to people's user accounts and stuff. So there are ways of fudging it. But no one really knows how big the market is, except to say that PS the PSVR is likely the market leader because it's the only one that's come out with a figure, and that figure is seems like it would be higher than any other single headset. Um, so you got that, and then you've got mm. you got to, you've got to take that against the fact that the market itself is quite fragmented. There's been multiple iterations of of all of these various headsets, multiple iterations of Oculus headsets, multiple. There's been more than one vibe. I forget now. Although there's there's many headsets out there in the market, and while there are some that are more popular than others, we all believe that the market has been given quite a boost by Oculus Quest. But even there, how many Oculus Quests have been sold exactly? These are not figures that anyone in VR seems comfortable talking to talking talking about, even amongst themselves. Because if what Patrick O'Lorne was telling me is correct, they don't get given this data on any level. Like it's just not made available to people outside of like the, the people involved in these companies. So 
it's a great thing the PS5 VR2 exists. Exactly how much comfort that gives people in the VR industry, I don't know, because people in the VR industry tend to be on the whole, oh, you know, it's going to get better narrative. Are they they're convinced it's the future, or are they? Are they just saying that? It's always a very weird thing talking to VR studios. They they want to believe. Um, I, I don't know if we've really ever got enough data to know how big the market is, how healthy it is, or how much something like PSVR 2 actually makes a difference. And as you say, like the only confirmed figure we get is from Sony. And even then that kind of puts puts in perspective how small VR is in the grander scheme of gaming. So by the beginning of 2020, Sony had confirmed that 5 million headsets um, for PSVR have been sold worldwide. Compare that to the, I think they're, they're near or past 100 million PlayStation 4s. Like past, that's... Yeah. That's five percent. That's five percent. That's five percent of your users have access to this, and there's no guarantee that all you know that whole five percent is going to buy any game you make for PlayStation VR. It's a really small market. And the foot at Sony was right off the gas the last few years on VR. Um, there's, there's there's lots of other aspects to that, but like it seemed like they were quite in on it for a couple of years, and then they just really didn't seem to care very much for a couple of years. So they sold that 5 million headsets. I, I feel like they, they probably didn't sell many of that chunk in the last 18 months, is what I'll say. Yeah, it's it's actually surprising me that Sony is um, sticking with, with VR and taking another crack at it because uh, when I think of, of Sony and, and their hardware approaches – like I'll give them credit for, for sticking with the PS three and turning around a Rocky launch there into a really successful console by the end of it. But like that was, they didn't really have a, a choice to cut and run because that was the core of the PlayStation business. But when you look at what happened with Vita and there's things like wonder book and iToy and those buzz remotes like and any kind Play-link. of yeah any kind of peripheral sort of uh experiment on the on the edges of the PlayStation business they have they have not shown the kind of determination that I would expect uh something like PSVR2 uh to require so I was I was surprised by that for sure hmm. I was surprised too I think when when, when VR didn't appear at all in any of the PlayStation 5 marketing materials or like there wasn't any announcement around VR, I was like, oh, this is it. Like, it's not, it's not going to happen. PSVR 2 is not going to happen. And I personally, I'm a big believer in VR. Like, Matt, you were saying, like, that the VR studios want to believe in, like, I want to believe too. I love VR. And, but I have also I haven't touched a VR headset in in a long time because there's still so much lacking around VR that it, it makes it difficult to be an exciting offering for a lot of people. Um, but having said that, um, the features that came with the PS5 uh, and namely its controller, DualSense, uh, the promise of that um, as part of a VR offering is a very exciting prospect. And if they can deliver the software that can actually make use of th- these aspects of like the, what's the word I'm looking for? Haptics feedback? Is that what I'm looking for? Haptic feedback. Oh, the control. Yeah. Uh, so if they can find, if they can deliver software that makes use of haptics feedback on, on uh, a VR platform, 
uh, I think that's a very exciting thing. Um, whether or not they're going to do that, it's really difficult to say at this point, I guess, because they've not announced much. Um, yeah. Well, I think that that's it's kind of the crux of the issue, isn't it? I mean, one, you know, we should urge everyone to go and read Rob Fahey's column, who he tackled this. And I mean, the, the argument he makes is that effectively Sony is at its core a hardware company, like it's really good at software, but it's typically always has, it always has been a hardware company. He says, it, he says that, you know, bear in mind, we're discussing a company that spent many years selling $2,000 robot dogs and once made a wireless speaker whose unique selling point was that it rolled randomly around the floor as it played music. So Sony is not a company. Sony has immense capability making hardware. And Rob's argument is that for Sony, selling 5 million of something, a PSVR headset, it wouldn't, wouldn't necessarily be, be seen as a failure, uh, like on its own terms, because it's made loads of kind of random, weird hardware that's only sold about that much, or even less, you know, it has an even smaller addressable market. I think we did expect to see that they would back away from, from VR. I, I personally actually did feel that they probably would give it one more go. The thing is, though, I think that they could make a really good piece of hardware. But as you say, Marie, I mean, I, and they could make amazing controllers, for example, with next level haptics like there are with the DualSense. The question is, and this is the question that Rob, Rob raised, what about the software? What, what do we see? Because one thing that has proceeded in like the year to year and a half leading up to the announcement of PSVR 2 is that Sony closed th three of its specialist VR studios and just last week shuttered uh, one of its most inventive studios, Japan Studio, which had been like a really prolific developer for like PSP and just in general seemed to have the capability to make smaller, stranger products, which actually is pretty much the lifeblood of the VR market. And so it's, it's got rid of the, I, I believe the team that made like Blood and Truth, it's like big, it's like, I guess, Iron Man VR aside, I think that was its last big AAA, you know, I guess, in the context of the VR market, the AAA game, right? But that was one of its its high-end VR projects. The, the company the studio that made that is gone now. Um, so it's... It's a difficult one to understand, I suppose. Like they seem to have stripped away all of their capability to make software for VR right before announcing a new VR headset. You, you mentioned uh, Iron Man VR, and I just want to point out that was developed by Camouflage. So mm -hmm. that was an external development team yeah. that made the highest profile PSVR title in years or arguably ever. Um, so... I mean, maybe maybe that's their, yeah, their their maybe their plan isn't relying on internal development of PSVR stuff because anything that gets made for PSVR, uh, for the PSVR market is going to be like an exclusive by default for a lot of people. I think because they're are they really like is 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 that slice of people with uh, a Vive or a Valve Index or an Oculus Rift rather than the the Quest? Like are they are they really such a huge part of the PSVR's target market that that exclusivity matters at that point? It's only really just occurred to me while we've been chatting how few franchises PlayStation has got that are suited to VR. Like VR very typically is done in a first from a first person perspective because it, it, it immerses you in the perspective. You know, that's the idea of you kind of putting your putting yourself into another another role um there are third person examples that work i mean I, um astrobot rescue mission is the one big first party um 
Sony play you know PlayStation VR title that people absolutely love and I hear it is it's brilliant like from what I hear I've I've I remember playing like the the Astro sections of I think it was PlayStation Rooms was like that tech demo and it's like okay yep I can see how this works it's not uh, it's not like, first party but Moss was a PlayStation VR exclusive I was going to say that too okay it's not anymore That's but it is a great example of how you can do excellent that, VR that games that on first party yeah that's fair enough but like but typically typically the vast majority of big vr games are first person the big ones that have um worked well third party wise in terms of a vr mode added on like recently you've had star wars squadrons had a vr mode and that is first person it's all done from the cockpit view resident evil 7 that's first person um over on the pc side half-life alex that's a hugely famous first person franchise that's that's been a big a killer app vr if you if you want but you look at like um you know, Uncharted, Last of Us, Bloodborne, um, Horizon, Knack, Ratchet and Clank, Jack and Dexter, Sackboy, whatever you whatever you name, the last game. Knack, 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 I'm not. I'm not saying Knack would be a killer app, but what I mean is, if you want a vaguely recognisable PlayStation property, like you know, would Blood and True, Blood and Truth, have done better? if it were a recognisable property. I, I remember playing a demo of Blood and Truth and thinking, this is amazing, but it's an unknown franchise. You need that kind of hook. You need that unknown. Iron Man VR, the reason that's done well, is like, oh, great, I get to be Iron Man. There's an instantly understandable concept there. Um, the Star Wars Vader Immortal, great, I get to be in a Star Wars film. There's an instantly recognisable, like, right, that's that's a hook. It's like, I get to be part of this recognisable universe. I get to immerse myself in a recognisable universe. Very few of PlayStation's recognisable universes lend themselves to VR, which I think puts them at a disadvantage. Well, yes. It's not like you say that james but when psvr2 comes out and the killer app is jumping flash vr i (laughs) i mean it's it's done it's 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 over yeah but i think what this is something i was thinking about actually patch that because one of the things that rob one of the arguments rob made in his piece was that uh if if PSVR 2 is going to be anything more than just, you know, than a nice piece of hardware, which Sony is eminently capable of making, it needs to put its first party heft behind the software on this occasion. And he did say, and he did say it's notable. So he presented a couple of different points here. <clears throat> he said that it's notable that none of Sony's first party IP featured on PSVR. None of it's like big stuff. God of War, God of War, No Horizon, No Uncharted, you name it, wasn't there. No Spider-Man, nothing. Um, at the same time, what were the three biggest VR titles of 2020? A Half-Life game, a Star Wars game, and a Marvel game. So IP mm. makes a difference. People in VR want IP. Sony has IP, but it's demonstrated reluctance to use that IP in VR. And when, and obviously Iron Man is a PSVR game, so obviously Sony does Sony does understand that, but it also it's, it's turned to a third party to get that made. And if you can read anything into what's going on behind the scenes, what we can see from the outside, studios, VR specialist studios closing, big games, big PSVR games being made by third-party studios. So Sony maybe thinks he doesn't need to do this stuff internally, that it can do it through licensing stuff and, and bringing people in. I mean, that's fine, but I don't know. It, Sony has got an embarrassment of riches in terms of development. I think the problem is that all of its main studios are working on such big games that the best you can probably do is have some sort of 
partner experience to a big release or some i mean i don't know if you remember but when connect was a thing you had games i had the, the example i remember is ghost recon gunsmith which was that where you could just like trick out your gun in the game using connect as an interface does anyone remember that it was like a thing that was a thing. You no, can Google it. That is Don't not bringing any bells. <laughs> like basically, you'd be playing the game with a controller. You could pause. You'd go into the gunsmith mode, and you could like use Connect to kind of swap out like different magazines and and put like a sight on and all this kind of stuff. So you know, basically, what I'm saying is pretty lame. Like not very good. Problem with VR is yeah. you can't even do that. So you need to put take on or off a headset, or you have to do that weird thing of I don't know, maybe transition like play the entire game on like a screen projected within the headset and then you can kind of go into immerse anyway none of that stuff seems to work so you kind of do need standalone experiences but how um i think that warner brothers made a batman vr game which is very self-contained it was like a detective mechanic focused mm. thing it was quite short but it was actually pretty good um that's the kind of thing that the potentially sony could do it could it could chuck out uh, an uncharted an uncharted game that was like very very focused sort of microcosm version of what you get up to in china maybe it's purely about hunting for relics or something no no combat involved potentially they could do stuff like that but i think the big question mark over psvr is what what are the games going to be where are they going to come from and will it be a closed shop still because as it stands, Half-Life Alex can't be on PSVR because of the way Sony Sony runs the platform. And that's not really mm. that good a thing in VR at the moment. If, if you're going to close yourself off, you really have to come up with the goods in terms of software. Just briefly while we're on games, if they're going to, because you mentioned Spider-Man, like, even if they just tack VR modes onto these big games, like you say, all the all the big studios are working on bigger games. Even if they just kind of add a VR mode onto those, if you had a VR mode on the next Insomniac Spider-Man game, that would be incredible. There was a uh, at the risk of getting anecdotal. There was a marketing, a free marketing experience, a, v- a VR experience um, that was released around. I think it was Spider-Man: Far From Home, maybe Spider-Man: Home, one of the Tom Holland Spider-Mans. And it was a really basic, almost tech demo-like VR game where you are Spider-Man and you swing around a New York City that doesn't really look like New York City. It's just a bunch of tall buildings. And you either shoot webs at um, you know flying drones or at targets, and then you just swing, or you just swing around at your own own leisure. And honestly, as as shoddy as it looked, the way it played, being able to be Spider-Man and just like swing through. If you could do that in the Insomniac Spider-Man games, that I think would be a huge seller. I'm saying that because just because I want that would make me buy PlayStation VR is if I can be Spider-Man and in those Insomniac Spider-Man games where it's so detailed, that would be amazing. Like, and I can't imagine that would be as as intensive development as that would be. Adding a VR mode to an, a larger game. I don't think would be as big a budgetary worry as developing a VR game from scratch. Certainly not, but I think it's more the user experience side of things. It's like asking someone to put on a helmet in order to play a section of a game or a mode of a game. I don't know. I I know that Resident Evil 7 had that, like you could play it through in VR, but you could actually play the entire game like that. I don't know if that's something I could see that happening in God of War Ragnarok, for example. That, that's like a 40 I know, yeah. It's just not made for that. I think the no, issue is like, um, for VR in general, not, not only for PSVR, but like the headset is quite expensive and then you want to have actually proper 
games and not just like a short experience of like a bit of a game uh, that is not meant for VR in the first place. So also Spider-Man in VR, I can't even imagine the moose and shickness for that, but that's me personally. <laughs> I wouldn't play that game because I don't understand, like I wouldn't be able to handle it. And I think that is an issue for VR as well, is you can't just take any game and be like, oh yeah, we're just going to do that, but in VR, because there's so, so much more to take into account compared to traditional games development. And motion sickness is just one part of that equation. Um, but yeah, all that to say that, I think that that's the big challenge. Like we, we going back to that issue of like software is really the key here um, because like there's so many bad VR games that are just like short experiences and like I just end up not buying them for instance because uh, like what's the point of you're just going to play a couple of hours of a thing and then and then it's finished already so like I think what people want is is Half-Life Alex, but with other <laughs> with other IPs right we, we, I know I want like proper VR experiences that feel like they've been developed for VR and not just like and add on to another IP. Or they can just do like capitalize on the fact that um, Astro's Playroom did so well on PS5 and do another Astrobot rescue mission VR game uh, that made, because I think that one was really good. I personally not played it, but that's something they could explore. Uh, they did just close Sony Japan, Japan right? Yeah, or the, did, the, did the Astrobot, the Astrobot uh, studio part? is sticking around? Yes, all right. Well, maybe they could do that then. Uh, so I I think there's a problem with um, finding that the system seller that that you're all talking about with like the here's the big name IP that everyone cares about right now, but I think Sony's got such a deep and extensive catalog that there are plenty of franchises that would work in a VR setting, not as like a 10 or 15 minute showpiece experience, but as an actual fully fleshed out game. Uh, I mentioned Jumping Flash, and I'm not kidding about that. Uh, I think a new Jumping Flash would be great. I think Twisted Metal, as much as that's not my cup of tea. Yeah, right. I think the idea of taking Twisted Metal, putting people into a variety of uh, these vehicles, and then even things like, you know, well, how big are the rear view mirrors on this vehicle? Does, you know, if I have just giant tires on the left and right of me, can I actually see anything in my periphery? Like, there's there's a lot of interesting ways to kind of rebalance those characters and make them more distinct, uh, yeah, which I think point. would be interesting in a vehicular combat game. Uh, things like Parappa the Rapper and um, Intelligence. I think you could do... Like you could do a good everybody's are golf just, game in VR as well. Golf games in VR, I think. Yeah, yeah. Wipeout. Everyone always wants a new Wipeout. Uh, yeah, like there's true. there's all this stuff that would would not necessarily be the system seller that gets someone to put down five hundred bucks or more on a on a VR headset, but would provide like that that solid lineup of compelling reasons for you to say like you know what after I'm done with that system seller, there's something else there. And that is something that I feel like VR has lacked. Cause like half-life Alex is a system seller title, but then when I'm done with that, what am I going to do? You know, may- maybe beat saber, but honestly, beyond those two games, uh, there hasn't been a whole ton of, of VR titles out there that really have made me strongly consider picking one up. And, and I think, Sony's IP, it doesn't need to be necessarily their blockbuster God of War frontline stuff, but they can find things to make, well, 
to make me care, at least. I suspect there are other people like me who are a little bit older and have maybe some discretionary income for this kind of stuff that would appreciate seeing a new Jumping Flash. <laughs> I, I, I should ask, does anybody here own a PSVR? No. 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 I, I used, I used a, a Flatmates uh, PSVR for a bit, but I don't own one. So I haven't played yeah. it, but yeah. Well, I think I think it's it's definitely hardware that was in desperate need of an update, from from what I understand. I think what Oculus has, well, what we've seen from recent VR soft VR hardware is that the most important things is to get rid of as many cables as you possibly can, and to make the input as good as possible. Uh, so uh, the knuckles controller enables new kinds of in fact inputs may be the most important thing which is why i'm actually really excited to see what sony comes up with in terms of utilizing some of those haptic some of that haptic technology in the dual sense because that's pretty next level stuff the uh, the, the effect on the dual sense is is pretty great i know not not Batch particularly maybe doesn't doesn't agree with that, but uh, but like at least the fidelity of it is really impressive. And I think that could work really well in VR. And VR is you know one of the, one of the things that's really struck the most striking about VR is not really the kind of the presentation, the screen, you know, being immersed in that way. It's actually the ability to reach out, touch things. Now, all of the VR stuff that I've played that I really loved has all been about being able to interact using my hands with the environment. So I'm really interested to see what this is. And actually now Brendan has said that about the PlayStation back catalogue, and I've got a Wikipedia page of all the PlayStation franchises up in front of me. And actually you can see, yeah, there's loads here that could become really interesting, you know, not... Not tiny little experiences, but you know, you, I don't think you need to be much more than sort of four or five hours long. Uh, you know, if, if you're story based in VR to create a product that people will still get excited about. I think it's just a case of like how much of that software do you need? How frequently does it need to come out to get? <clears throat> the question I guess I still have is: Are the five million people that are going to buy PSVR two just the same that bought PSVR, or is PSVR two actually going to? Because I think to, to sell to more people than five million, you really do need good games behind it and it's whether or not sony's gonna make sure that that's happening i'm guessing a lot of people who bought the original psvr probably feel a little burned um it, it came out when people were still sort of riding the vr as next big thing hype train and like you said sony didn't really give it a whole lot of of really great support after launch it, it was sort of a, a you know drips and drabs of, of software support and it got to the point where here when they announced ps5 was coming out everyone was like well you know they they might just not do another psvr you know they might make it not compatible even though they wound up doing that like it, it was it was already an afterthought by the time 2020 rolled around and it was, so, um, it's I, been out for four and a half years and I really feel like it felt like an afterthought for maybe two of those. So like front of mind for two and then not really front of mind at all for two. So the fact, the fact that this was a surprising announcement kind of speaks volumes to the way Sony's sort of actions around VR have been interpreted of late. One more thing about PSVR that I will mention for people that are interested is I uh, should have something going up on the site Wednesday that would give a probable first look at the new controller. Oh, nice. Dun, dun, dun. Very good. <laughs> <laughs> oh, tease. Star Wars, Star Wars Squadrons, which was a PS, you know, there's a lot of good third-party stuff 
that's been done in the VR space. There is a lot of investment in that area. Um, the Star Wars Squadrons game last year was excellent in VR. I only played it a little bit, but I've heard even more from people that played it a lot. And um, I didn't do the Iron Man game, but I heard that was great. I'm sure I've been given half an opportunity. There's medal. I've heard that was rubbish. Oh, yeah, so that's come out, is it? Yeah, I guess. Yes, a small audience, but I think there's still third party support, even from bigger companies. And this is where I sort of think that we'll see a lot of VR is it's a mode. It's a thing, you know, it's a, it's a USP within a Gran Turismo or a Star Wars game or something like that, rather than many big standalone titles. Um, you'll get those from the end dreams and stuff of the world, but I don't know if you'd get that from PlayStation. Anyone know if, um, cause Hitman three had PSVR all the way through. Anyone know if, um, that, that I saw like one or two people like posting YouTube videos and like, saying, Oh, this is really cool. But I don't know. I didn't really hear any much buzz around it in, in the general. I didn't even Hitman know. Oh, okay. Well then that's, like, I wasn't even aware. Like... No, it, it, it was only, uh, it's not, it wasn't supported in all of the locations. Um, that for me is kind of very gimmicky. I think I was you know? going to say like, that too. Yeah, yeah. Because none of nothing in Hitman says this will be better in VR. In the way that, for example, with Resident Evil Seven, even though you know it was just kind of a, a essentially a VR overlay into on a non-VR game, Resident Evil Seven is all about atmosphere and building tension, and that VR is good for that. Immersion is good for that. With with Hitman, it's all about noticing every tiny little detail in the environment that does not get easier when you're looking through what feels like your own eyes it's easier when you're seeing the full panorama of the screen right in front of you somebody really loves hitman i can't actually i haven't tried it could be amazing i can't see how it would add anything to the experience apart from as chris was saying like a usp effectively but usps aren't always they're supposed to be selling points but they don't always end up selling anything at all they're just there Other big news of the past week is the 25th anniversary of the Pokemon franchise. Uh, February 27th was the anniversary itself, first released in 1996 with Pokemon Red and Pokemon Green in Japan. A um, couple of things I kind of want to talk about here is one is the the general size and success of the franchise, and that is something I again, with time traveling nature of podcast recording, I'm writing a feature at the moment that is probably going to be up before this podcast airs. I say probably should should be up um looking at like the the secrets of its its success um and the other one was obviously the the pokemon presents or as i keep i keep on meaning to call it a pokemon direct but the pokemon presents that was there on friday afternoon um announcing a few new games for the uh the franchise kind of I, I gather that we're not all massive Pokemon fans. I, I have re always really enjoyed the series. I've kind of dipped in and out of the mainline games, but I've always had an appreciation of it. Um, where, do other, where does everyone else stand on Pokemon? The same as you, actually. Like, I'm, I'm not like a massive Pokemon fan the same way I'm a Zelda fan or a Mario fan, but I have played most of them. I very rarely finish them, um, but uh, yeah, but, yeah they, they're good sometimes. Yeah, I I'm I'm I like I like Pokemon. Um, I, the originals were yeah, up Gold and Silver, some of my favourite games I've ever played. Um, but 
and I dip in and out of the franchise. It's still fun. It's one of those series that you can't really play back to back, I find. Like, unlike Mario, you can play like five Mario games, string them together. You play a Pokemon game, you go right back to them. I, I think I did um, X and Y, and then Sun and Moon came out, and I went straight into that, and I had to go through the whole process of le- the game teaching me how to play a game I've just played, and it was. It's not, it is a bit of a slog, um, particularly not a great, I mean, they add a lot of extra content into the game, but the core mechanics are the same each and every time. So it, it can feel a bit of a slog and I, I like to give myself a bit of a gap between each one. But yeah, I like it. It's good. I find myself similar to Marie. Um, I haven't finished one since, I think it was Ruby was the last one I finished, but that's because every time I end up getting into, I think it was X, Sun or you know Diamond or whatever, I end up going back to Gold because that is just, that's the, the peak that's that's the most refined Pokemon formula I'm I'm familiar with. It's like right, I'm just going to go back to gold and play that again. Yeah, so uh, the one the one my perception of Pokemon, I suppose, is someone I, I genuinely haven't ever played a Pokemon game, so I'm I'm just trying to kind of grapple with it a little bit. But it's always struck me that, and please tell me if this is incorrect or whether you think that there's anything to this or not. But like with with something like Mario, for example, or Zelda, or you know other big Nintendo franchises, I can imagine like say someone like me. Um, late 30s, me picking up a Mario game and kind of understanding why it's so appealing. Whereas for some reason, I've always got the impression that with Pokemon, you kind of need to have played them when you were younger and like that nostalgia becomes part of the, the core appeal. But, but if you if you hadn't had that experience of playing them when you're in your teens or something like that, you're not really going to get as much out of it coming to it late. I, I don't know if that's... The truth I think or, I agree with or, you. I or think accurate or not. Because like for me, Zelda and Mario, I can totally see why all ages, regardless, would up would enjoy those games. Never really kind of seen it with Pokemon, apart from that, you know, return to you know, the feeling of playing those original ones or, or the first ones we encountered. I was gonna say true to a point, the franchise is more popular now than it was um only 15 years ago so obviously it's brought in loads of new users um and that's through pokemon go and and things like that and the the, the core gameplay loop of sort of collect battle collect you know that's just a classic that's been going in games for even well before pokemon and um it's, it's sort of a very interesting it's all about the new monsters and stuff and all of those things appeal to kids and but i think for people our age certainly is a nostalgic appeal to that series you know you go back and i think that's actually one of the problems pokemon has is that it sort of doesn't really take too many it's been taking more risks lately but it tries not to take too many gambles because it has this dedicated nostalgic core fan base that goes back 20 years that actually don't want it to change too much and you've got that sort of conflict between people who are calling for it to be revolutionized and completely changed and those that actually just want the same thing but with prettier graphics and a couple of extra features each and every time it's why you see things like when we when we looked at that um pokemon presents presentation like pokemon legends you know the huge open world um that is what i've wanted from the franchise since genuinely like the n64 era i remember playing like ocarina of time majora's mask thinking oh wow wouldn't it be great if you could play a pokemon game like this where you're just exploring the countryside and you walk into the you know the grass and rather than cutting it down for rupees you get attacked by a monster and that's you know like what 20 years on 25 years on they're finally actually doing a proper big open world game but it's very much positioned as a spin-off compared to say yeah you know, like you know the nostalgia heavy diamond and pearl you know brilliant diamond and shining pearl remakes and then sword and shield which i haven't played but sword and shield i understand are they do play exactly like those mainline games that as chris says core fans do not want to change 
So they're playing exactly the same, but they they have that, uh, what is it called? The uh, wild area. Thank you, Chris. <laughs> the wide area uh, on which Legends is, is seems to be based on, right? And and I think that's really smart to have done that because I'm very much of the category who is a bit tired of that core loop. I think there's a lot mm. of grinding that comes with playing Pokemon and um, nostalgia is is not enough of a of a feeling for me to actually go through an entire game. Like, at, at, when I start a Pokemon game, at first I'm always very excited about the core loop and, and, and seeing the good old Pokemon from the end of the 90s and then after a while I'm like yeah okay I get it like it's very grindy and so the idea of having an entire game based on a completely different core loop I think is a very exciting one and I think they were very smart like a, a breath of the wild Pokemon game essentially is 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 exciting and I think they were very smart in doing that and I'm much more interested in that than I am in in a brilliant diamond and shining pearl like I well I thought I, I think Going on what you're talking about there, Marie and, and James, and also um, talking about those remakes, is I was quite fascinated by last week's announcement because Pokemon. I feel a bit so, I feel, I, in a way that I feel sorry for any company that that sells 20 million copies of a game <laughs> they release every two years. Um, the um, uh, I feel a little sympathy for what Game Freak are going through through at the moment because um, this is a handheld game developer. They make 2D top-down. RPGs they have done since the beginning and um, they whenever they do a console game they tend to outsource it they don't always but they, they do most of the time and with with the Switch they were kind of forced into being a console game developer you know it's in production values wise that's kind of what they're forced to do and one of the big criticisms that Sword and Shield faced and there was a lot of angry fans was that people were going well hang on look at Xenoblade look at um, Zelda these games sell as well Xenoblade doesn't sell anywhere near as well as Pokemon. Zelda has only ever done it once, and that's with the latest game. How come your games don't look as nice as this? And the answer is, is that the team isn't built for that. Um, and you know, even if you know, you could, it, it's tough for them to be built for that. Uh, it requires a transition and a change. You know, Let's Go and um, Pokemon Sword and Shield just don't look anywhere near as nice as the big RPGs on Switch. And um, uh, and. But what I saw in the, the Pokemon Presents last week was, for starters, they're outsourcing the next remake. That's not something they've done before. They normally make them internally. So the fact that they've gone right, the next you know updated game is now going to be made outside of Game Freak suggests that they're they you know they're they're using their resources in more ways. And the game that they showed, um, the Legends game, which I know James, I agree with you. Like, just you know, I want them to take a big gamble, make the next mainland Pokemon game mm. like that. Rather than rather than rather than do a uh, a spin off, but it's a Game Freak title. It, it one of the problems they face is because they are part owned by Nintendo. They get those Nintendo comparisons, and they're not Nintendo. You know, they their their teams are 30, 40 people. They're not the hundreds of people that make a Zelda game over five years. It's not the same sort of company. But um, fans expect that now. The expectations do keep going up. And um, the comparisons don't look great. I mean, Pokemon used to be one of the. It's always the best selling game on every. Nintendo handheld and um, they get held up as you know one of the better games on each platform it, Sword and Shield isn't one of the great games on Switch it's fine it's a, it's a fine game um, and I think that they've, they've got a bit of a transition to go through of which you saw a little bit of it so you know the fact they're outsourcing um, the remakes the fact that their next game is an open world title that at least I mean there was no hiding behind the comparisons they want people to make right you know the music the way the trailer was done it was it was just like this is Zelda but this is Breath of the Wild Pokemon I'm not sure that that's gonna <laughs> that might help them sell consoles and get excitement I'm not entirely sure it'll uh, <laughs> it'll, uh, it'll be a comparison they'll be grateful for when the reviews come in at the end but um 
it is, it is, I always felt a bit for them, but it's, it seems to be a company going through that transition where they're trying to move from move into that sort of AAA production values, which they don't have. The other thing I took away from the presents, um, and I'm, I'm working this into the intro of my feature, is just the sheer size of the franchise in general. Um, that opening five minute bit where it kind of just does, it's a little montage of everything they've ever released. And like, you know, with little hashtags for like, you know, hashtag red, hashtag blue, hashtag cable, like, and, and the, you just got someone speaking over the top of it. I might just put it on in the background here just to kind of demonstrate. But it's listing all these things that Pokemon's had a hand in. And it's more than just games. Like games are actually probably, I'd say a quarter at the most of the franchise because it's like, it's... It's the trading card games, it's the movies, it's the animes, it's the merchandise, it's the fashion, it's a bloody jet plane. I read today that by 2004, $3 million had been spent on Pokemon-themed jet planes. And by jet planes, I mean, like, you know, the proper big passenger jets. Like, that's how... Name me one other game franchise that has that has, has had that much spent on licensed jet planes. The size of it is, in, is incredible. And, like, it's something I'm trying to explore in this feature is just... We've seen a lot of talk in, like, in the last few years and so forth of like more people trying to make, oh, I want to make a cross-media franchise. And usually a cross-media franchise means like a story that you have to engage in it in multiple different kind of forms of entertainment in order to, to fully appreciate it. But the Pokemon's already there in terms of just the sheer number of entry points. Like um, a, a friend of mine who I'm quoting in the feature, she's a Pokemon content creator. She knows plenty of people who they didn't know until like a couple of years ago that Pokemon was a video game because they only know it for the trading cards. Huh. Yeah. Of all things, they only know it for the trading cards. There are people who yeah. genuinely back in the day thought that the games were based on the TV series not the other way around because that's their entry point there's the movies there's the toys like that's there's just so much to it there's so many different ways they appeal to different people um and i think and the the phrase you used chris in our slack which i'm absolutely stealing for this feature is it's a masterclass of brand management and it's it's something i would be intrigued to see if any other game franchise could ever learn from and repeat well, it is interesting that of all of the of all of the Nintendo IPs, it's the one that isn't made by Nintendo that's the best at that, right? Like, so I guess the Mario theme part might have changed that a little bit, but you know, there's been a Mario TV show and a Mario uh, movie, but neither have been nearly as successful or as loved as the Pokemon uh, uh, movie and TV series. Like, you're right, it, it, it's done all those things, but it's also done them really well in ways where. They could build fan bases purely from those entry points rather than just being ways to satiate fans of the game, which I think is where Nintendo still very much is with the majority of its, its self-created IP. Yeah, and you know, one of the things that one of the one of the my favorite things that Pokemon have done recently is Pokemon Smile, which is the a game that's basically designed to teach kids to brush their teeth. I mean, that's just everything they do. You know, yeah, at the direct they mentioned that in the in the present, sorry, but then they also showed new Pokemon Snap, which is a sequel to a, a cult favorite, super hardcore fan favorite game from. If you're, it's, it's for that's for the hardcore Pokemon fans, and they do cater for about all of those audiences. Um, sometimes that can be really hard, and we've seen some of the backlash. You know, the mainline Pokemon series is trying to, you know, tread a really impossible line between a huge amount of new people coming in all the time and those old fans. And increasingly, we're starting to see spin-offs. Let's Go was a way of introducing. It was it was a it was a it was a, a um, stopgap. If you've just come into Pokemon through Pokemon Go, Let's Go Pikachu and Let's Go Eevee is your way 
into the mainline mainline RPG series. It was it was it was a it was a transitional game. They were always thinking about. They were always thinking about how do we introduce customers to new things and upgrade them. Everything they do, like um, when they do um, the special trading cards to coincide with the launch of games, you know, they they tie those things together. Detective Pikachu. Look at the launch of Detective Pikachu. The the uh, not the game. I'm talking about the movie. Um, there was a card series. There was a merchandise plan. There was game. It was it was let's go. Detective Pikachu went into the Pokemon Go games. Everything crosses over. They all join up. It's a really it's it's a you can tell it's a it's a it's a company built around one IP. They think about it so much. Whereas you know you talk about Nintendo not being quite so good with with Mario and Zelda. They do obviously do spin-offs and stuff, but they're a games company. Whereas the Pokemon companies like. It, it is about a brand. That's what it's all about, and it's so that's that's the answer. They need to they need to set up the Mario Company and the Zelda Company, and then just hire hire exec or borrow, borrow learnings from the Pokemon Company. Mm, I'm not sure that will. I mean, Mario and Zelda has its unique sort of premium sort of uh, Mickey Mouse type uh, uh, persona to them. I think you know that Pokemon. You might argue can be oversaturated, um, but. Um, well, the good yeah, thing with Pokemon is they have an in, like infinite number of characters and like things they can use on merchandise and a number like this. I don't know how many Pokemon there are at this stage, but it's in it's there, right? It's I was going to say almost a thousand. You probably so that's like an unlimited resource of stuff you can use to create more games, to create more stuff in general that is not necessary. Like you mentioned, Pokemon Smile. I've, also remembered about Pokemon Sleep, which is this thing that is partly being developed by Niantic, actually, there where you can just track your sleep. But Pokemon, like, I don't know, you can literally do anything. There's so, so many characters and things you can do around around Pokemon. It's, it goes way beyond games and like they all exist in their own way like you can as, as you mentioned James you can be watching the tv shows like the, the anime and not being aware that it's a game and you can be like I, I've played most of the games and I've never even touched a Pokemon card for instance like it completely is different audiences and different age groups as we, I think as well they've been just really smart in uh, managing to develop all of those completely independently not independently but like separately from each other in a way and just capturing two completely different and audiences. And they're not just tar- targeting like these broad demographics like children with Pokemon Shine and uh, people who sleep with Pokemon Sleep, but like even like, you know, more kind of <laughs> niche audiences like like core gamers. Like um, I have to keep, I keep reminding myself that Pokemon Unite is going to be a thing. This is like Tencent develop. It's a MOBA. It's a Pokemon MOBA, which I believe is being developed by Tencent or a Tencent backed studio. Um, and it's basically a Pokemon League of, League of Legends, and that that's in development now. Like, actually, and that that's actually a, sounds pretty cool. It's no Pokken, is it's it? No, no, it's not quite Pokken. No, I go, but I'm more I'm more interested. I, I, I having previously carpooled with someone who was slightly obsessed with League of Legends and lectured me on the mechanics of a MOBA to the point where I genuinely didn't care about the genre. I am now interested in Pokemon Unite because it's this huge genre that I have never been able to get into, but here is this IP that could could lure me in. Um, that could become a bigger one. Um, the couple of the analysts I was talking to for this feature, they're pointing out that the fact that it's going towards MOBA, the fact that the fact that the success of Pokemon Go they've had, um, they they're gearing more towards these kind of service games, which obviously is you know, a massive driver of revenue in the games industry now. So I'm intrigued to see, and certainly the analysts were intrigued to see how Pokemon can adapt to that going forward. I'm not saying we're going to see like a Pokemon Fortnite, but um, but you you could well see more Pokemon games that are 
you know, supported be long, long beyond launch. You're talking right. Well, why not? I mean, the thing is, this is the thing I was going back to what I was saying at the beginning about Game Freak. You know, they're, they're expected to release two games. You know, they release a game every two years and everyone's sort of getting complained about the fact the quality, complaining the quality is not quite there or, or, or you know, they're not doing quite enough to, to revolutionise to the, the thing. But if the games as a service model for Pokemon allows them now not not to feel they have to drop a big game every couple of years. It does, you know, they can hmm. take three or four years if they adopt the service model. I mean, Pokemon Sword and Shield is the, you know, adopted the service model um, with two, with two, yeah, it was two DLC sets that they released last year. You can go down that route. And I think that's, might be a good way for Game Freak to go as it looks to, you know, staff up and, and, and tackle some of these bigger games. And, you know, I remember when I was, you talk about the memories of the nineties. I remember the early noughties and the, the fake advert that went around the internet, which was Pokemon line with just a picture of an ethernet cable, uh, ethernet port in the Pokeball. And it was the tag eye underneath. It was your next opponent uh, is the whole world. And I thought, yes, <laughs> believing it was real it was such a good poster but i've been waiting for that dream um from a pokemon fan perspective uh mmo pokemon game would be quite big and quite special i should think but um yeah it's a bit it's, it's a franchise that's gone for strength for strength you know pokemon sword and shield's done over 20 million units you know it's still it's just seems to it just seems to constantly go and even before um go it was still huge it's um it's 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 a remarkable achievement. Twenty five years and it's still top of a game is is you know, few kids' IPs can boast that. When you talk about it going to service games, it just makes me think Pokemon Ultimate Team. <laughs> well, no, it, it, yeah. it monetizes. They've already got the trading they've already got a trading card game. They can just literally just scan the you know, like recreate those cards, job done. Well, Pokemon intro thing is though, Pokemon Go does have a loot box style mechanic to it. it's sort of dressed up a little differently. But it is in there, you know. You buy the, to, you buy these egg hatches that allow you to hatch eggs. You don't know what's in the eggs. Um, you can use a free egg hatcher and just walk for ages, or you can buy egg hatches, multiple ones, and hatch them quicker. Um, I've done that quite a few times, and half the time I get the same Pokemon out of them. It's it's there is a bit of that, and I think, um, and you know, it it's something that Nintendo will be wary of because although. Nintendo is only, it's worth, Nintendo doesn't own Pokemon, um, but it does own a third of the Pokemon company. It owns the license, the the, the, um, uh, the naming rights to all of the, the games, uh, the, the monsters themselves. It's a massive, a massive hand in that. They, they obviously invested in Niantic after Pokemon Go. So they are a, uh, uh, they are a major player at that table. And I think Nintendo are very cautious around monetization methods. They don't always get it right, but they are very cautious around that um because they don't want you know you don't want to have that loot box reputation i think pokemon goes largely escaped it but not quite um and you know you could easily go down that route couldn't you um but yeah want to avoid that That is all we've got time for this week. We'll be back next week with your regular news show and we have a Game Developers Playlist and a Five Games of In The Works. Um, got a couple of uh, good guests coming up for those. You can find all previous podcasts, including the Game Developers Playlist and the Five Games of Spin-Off series, uh, on your podcasting platform of choice. And you can find more news, insight and analysis into the world behind video games at gamesindustry.biz. waffling on about Pokemon. No, no, enjoyed the waffle.
Sorry, I was waiting for someone to follow the waffle. Um, it was a good waffle. Yeah, it was a good waffle. I was also waiting for someone else to... <laughs> <laughs>